0: about people affected by poverty and experiencing homelessness. It wasn't like anything had happened or there was any kind of experience that kind of led to that. It was just spending time with Jesus, and he began to ask to my spirit, he just began to ask, what are you doing to help those people affected by poverty? And I didn't have a real good answer. And yet I knew all throughout the New Testament, books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Jesus showed compassion toward people. But one of the things Jesus pointed out is that we can have this tendency to feel sorry for people, but not necessarily have compassion for them. And there's a difference. The difference is this, that feeling sorry says something should be done, whereas compassion says, I must do something. There's a difference. So how about you this morning? What are you doing to help people affected by poverty? Maybe you're not even sure you need to be doing anything about it. But the question we should always ask is, what does scripture have to say? What does God think about people affected by poverty and experiencing homelessness? What's God's view? We should always ask that. And so that's what we'd like to figure out today as we continue our Better Together series with a message on Jesus and compassion. So if you have your Bibles, hey, I hope you do. If you're here and you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath the chair in front of you. You're welcome to borrow it. If you don't have one at home, take it home. We want you to have an access to God's word every day. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9 today. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 36. So I'm going to invite you to stand as we read these couple of verses. You've been sitting too long. But <laughs> well, this is a really interesting kind of summary of the ministry of Jesus who both preached and healed. Like, it's all the gospel. And and so that's one of the things that we'll look at today as we look at this message on Jesus and compassion. But reading in Matthew chapter 9, taking a look at verse 35, it says, And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Like, it's all a part of the same message. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, the word says, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. Don't worry, I'll let you sit there for a while. <laughs> so we've been working through a year-long Better Together message series, and, and we're now in the last section, which deals with righteous justice. So it's the last section that we were kind of leading up to as well. And, and a couple of weeks ago, we discovered that we can participate in the justice of God by continuing the mission of Jesus. And the mission of Jesus, it really is about righteous justice, and it includes three important things, proclaiming good news, showing compassion, and participating in justice advocacy. And one of the things I did not point out in that message is that often all three of these things come together in the ministry of Jesus. It's not like he you know, kind of separates those things out. It's really all just holistic ministry. It, it all happens at one time, often. Uh, we see that in lots of places, that he would preach good news, show compassion, and lift people up all in one setting. You go to, to John chapter 4, the woman at the well. He does all three of those things. You, you go to Luke chapter 8, the, the garrison, the demoniac there. He does all three of those things there. So often the ministry of Jesus wasn't separating out those things, but this is just what you do In the kingdom of God as a minister in his kingdom Now even when he preached to 5,000 So he's preaching proclaiming good news But he has compassion on them He knows they're hungry so he feeds them But even in the message he's preaching He's talking about how do you lift others up How do you love your enemies So it was always all together It was never really separated out So I want to encourage all of us As we consider continuing the mission of Jesus It all goes together preaching good news, showing compassion, participating in justice advocacy. Like you really can't do one without the other if you're going to do it well. And so then last week, what we did is we further unpacked the concept of of justice advocacy with a message on Jesus and racism. And in that message, we found that racism gets resolved as we use power rightly, as we bless those who persecute us, and as we pursue loving unity. Those three things, if those happen well, Man, racism gets resolved in really wonderful ways. But now today what we'd like to do is turn our attention back to our opportunity of showing compassion toward others, which is something Jesus regularly did. And I I mentioned this as part of the message on Jesus and justice, but now I want to dive a little bit deeper into showing compassion. And this is really important for us, considering 16% of people, 16% of people in Tippecanoe County live below the poverty line. That's a lot of people. That's over 31,000 people right here living below the poverty line. You, you take a look further out. You look at the state. In our state, 740,000 people live below the poverty line. You look at our country, over 30 million people in the U.S. living below the poverty line. So we want to talk about Jesus and compassion today because there are people in our county, our state, our nation, and in the world who are struggling And Jesus expects his church to do something about it. And so the question we want to answer today as we consider this important topic is this. Why is it important as followers of Jesus, we maintain hearts of compassion? Why is it so important? And there's a couple of important reasons. And what we find in scripture, the first one is, is that we must maintain a heart of compassion because God has a heart of compassion. That's probably the biggest reason. There are over 2,000 verses in scripture that talk about helping those in need. That's a lot of scripture. Good news for you this morning. We're only going to cover like half of them today. So we'll be all right. Some of you have looked at the U version notes and you're like, he's serious. Like there's a lot of scriptures there today. It's all right. We'll be all right. We we will dismiss well before two on Tuesday, as Michael would say. (laughs) Let's look at one of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 15. Here's what we find. But if there are any poor Israelites in your town, so God is speaking through Moses here, when you arrive in the land the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Instead, be generous and lend to them whatever they need. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. So God's heart and his instruction to his people is, That when it comes to those affected by poverty, there is no place for being hard-hearted or tight-fisted. Instead, God says, be generous. Be generous. This is what God is saying. You and I don't have to be afraid to be generous because as we do that, God takes care of us. That's just part of what he does. You be generous with those in need and I will be generous with you, God says what the scripture says, you'll find it here. You find it all throughout scripture. It's not just here. We read, uh, we read the Psalm this morning, Psalm 41 verse one. Oh, the joys, it says of those who are kind to the poor, the Lord rescues them when they're in trouble. I was thinking about that verse and thinking about, you know what? If you're lacking in joy this morning, could it be because you're not taking care of the needs of those around you? And it says God rescues you because you've been in the business of rescuing others. This is all over scripture. Proverbs twenty-one, thirteen: those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. There, there is something about God's ears to hear us that's tied to our willingness to hear the cries of others. There's something about that. Proverbs 22, verse nine, blessed are those who are generous because they feed the poor. So one of the marks of generosity is a willingness to give to those in need. And when we are generous, God says we're blessed. Proverbs 28, verse 27, whoever gives to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to poverty will be cursed. Well, that's a fun one. (laughs) But here's the thing It's well understood That there are a couple of different types of sin One is sins of commission Sins of omission I want to explain the difference So sins of commission Those things that we do To damage our relationship with God And others Things like slander and murder and Those are obviously damaging So those are sins of commission Things we do But there are also what we call sins of omission Those things we don't do that cause others harm. And poverty can cause others harm. We know this. A lack of access to medical resources, a shortage of food, inadequate shelter. And when we close our eyes to poverty, something harmful happens to our heart. That's ultimately what the curse is. We have this hardening of our heart. And I'll tell you what, we don't want that. That's a terrible thing. Here's another verse, Proverbs 19, verse 17. If you help the poor, You're lending to the Lord, and he will repay you. When you give to help those in need, God views it this way. It's like you've given it to him. Isn't that crazy? I never would think about, I'm giving things to God. We always think we're on the receiving end of things, right? But there's something about our our helping those in need that's now giving it directly to God. We see this in the New Testament as well, in Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus says, when you did it to one of the least of these, you were doing it to me. He doesn't even say, it's like you're doing it to me. He just straight up says, you're doing it to me. That's powerful. God says, when you help those affected by poverty, you're helping him. What an extraordinary statement that is. Proverbs 14, verse 31, those who oppress the poor, insult their maker but helping the poor honors him. So there's a lot more at stake than do we agree with the person collecting money at the corner of Walmart. There's a lot more at stake stake than our thought. If they would just get off drugs, they wouldn't be so poor. Our job in these situations is not to render judgment about how they got there, why they are there, and what they could do to get out of their situation. That's not our job. Our job is to look at the situation through eyes of compassion, because that's the very heart of God. That's what we're supposed to do. And to recognize that when we honor the poor, we're honoring God. What a powerful thing. What we're doing for them, it's like we're doing it for Him. Because God has a heart for those people living in poverty. And there's something about how we treat the poor That then determines how God treats us. That if we're generous, God will be generous. It says that if we hold back, it says God holds back. And now that in no way means that we give trying to control God, saying, okay, well, now that I've done this, what are you gonna do for me, God? Wrong heart still. (laughs) Like we can give out of wrong heart and motives. That's not the point. We should be giving out of this generous heart for what God has done for us, so Lord, help me do it for others. Now when we go to the New Testament, We see that those in need, they are still a priority. Reading from John chapter 13, it says, since Judas was their treasurer, some thought Jesus was telling him to go and pay for the food or to give some money to the poor. So this is the last meal that Jesus has with his disciples. Judas is about to betray him. He exits and the disciples are thinking, well, maybe he told Judas to go give some money to the poor. So if that's what they're thinking, this was obviously something Jesus regularly did. It was common. Jesus was living a life of an itinerant teacher. He is dependent upon the the offerings of others, but yet he takes those and helps others too. As shared in our Jesus and justice message, Jesus encouraged his disciples to not only be generous with those affected by poverty, but to actually welcome them into their homes and families. And here's something interesting we find in the New Testament book of Galatians. In it, we find how the early church viewed those affected by poverty. Galatians chapter two. So Paul is writing believers in Galatia, and here's what he says. In fact, James, Peter, and John, who are known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I've always been eager to do. So what happens here is Paul's meeting with some of the original disciples, because Paul, after his conversion experience, he's in Saudi, and he's receiving from the Lord the gospel, and so then he meets with uh, some of the early apostles in order to confirm, this message that I'm preaching, does it align with the message that Jesus was preaching in the time that you had with him? And, And they confirm, yes, this is the gospel that you preach, only don't forget to help the poor. Why? Because the church was continuing the mission of Jesus, who shared the good news in word and action. Almost always, if you just even look through Luke, every time he preaches, he's meeting needs too, somehow. He preached and healed. He preached and fed people. He preached and he gave to others. He preached and he lifted people up. It's just what he did. So to not share the good news in word and action is to lose the holistic message of the gospel. So if we forget those affected by poverty, something is lost in our preaching of the gospel. So we must maintain a heart of compassion because God has a heart of compassion. And we must maintain a heart of compassion because every person is valuable and precious in God's sight. This is so important. We've actually talked a fair amount about this, that human beings have been equally created in the image of God. And Jesus continually reinforces this by interacting not only with Jews, but Samaritans and and others. I love how in John chapter 4, it says, John left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. So the question is, why did Jesus have to go through Samaria? It wasn't because that's the only route he could take. So here's a map. If you look on the kind of the point on the bottom, there's Jerusalem, and you'll find two different routes. The more common route that Jesus would take, if you look at scripture, is through the Jordan River Valley. So over on the right, he would take this yellow route. But then you also see there's this route that goes through Samaria. So when it says that he had to take this route, it's not that he really had to go that way because of geography. It seems like he had to go this way because the Spirit compelled him to. Because what we find is as he passes through Samaria in John chapter four, Jesus visits with a Samaritan woman at a well. And he and his disciples wind up spending two days there in her village so that everyone there can hear the good news and Jesus can set them free. So Jesus, what we know as he's going through and ministering to the Samaritans, but what we also know the Samaritans is they were seen by Jews as racial inferiors. But Jesus led by the spirit, He saves a whole village and he twice places Samaritans on the same spiritual level as Jews. So Jesus, he also starts a riot in Nazareth when he declares that God loved Gentiles like the widow of Zarephath and Naaman the Syrian as much as Jews. Through the parable of the good Samaritan, we see that Jesus defines loving your neighbor as going and providing for practical financial and medical needs of people. Because every human, this is what Jesus models for us, it's what he preaches for us, that every human has equal dignity and worth because they were all created in the image of God. Every person is valuable and precious in God's sight. And so what God is showing us in scripture is that we can be his hand extended to them. Let's take a look at Isaiah chapter 58, reading from verse 1. Isaiah is writing here. He says, shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. God is giving Isaiah instructions. Shout aloud. Don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. Those are some fun verses. So what Isaiah is doing is he is recording the words of God to the people of Israel. And God is basically pronouncing judgment on them for having forgotten God. God is rebuking them for their religious practices that are all about religion, nothing about relationship with God or with others. And what we find in these verses is it's possible to attend a church service every Sunday And yet have an attitude regarding people affected by poverty that separates the blessing of God from our lives. So it's more than about showing up on a Sunday is what God is saying. Now let's keep reading. Here's what Isaiah continues to record. We have fasted before you, the people of Israel say. Why aren't you impressed? We've been very hard on ourselves and you don't even notice it. I will tell you why. God responds. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. So what we see is you look at Isaiah 58, and I want to point out here, this is part of the section of scripture Jesus pulls out of Isaiah when he reads the scroll from Isaiah when he's in the synagogue of Nazareth. This is part of it. And what we find in this passage is that God is not interested in personal religion that is only about us and our nation, and has nothing to do with people affected by poverty. The people of Israel, they missed it. We see this all throughout the Old Testament. And if we're honest, we sometimes miss it too. Oftentimes people in a church setting, we can live very moral lives. But here's why. With the goal of gaining leverage over God to control him, to put him in a position where we think he owes us. There's a motive behind it. And if we're not careful, we can attempt to obey God simply to get things instead of just wanting God himself. So hear me this morning. If you believe that God ought to bless you and help you because you've worked so hard to obey him and be a good person, then Jesus may be your helper, your example, and even your inspiration. But he is not your savior because apparently you're already doing that yourself. And when we live like this, engaging in religious activity as leverage over God, what we're saying is we think the blessings are God, is what will make us happy and fulfilled instead of the love of God itself. But this is so untrue. If instead, and this is where we need to be living today, if instead we're enjoying the love of God, what happens is God's love, it causes us to say, you did so much for me. You love me so much. How can I now take the generosity that I have received from you and multiply it into the lives of others that they might see you in me and might come to know you too? It's a very different heart response. The right posture of our heart is out of the abundance of love that God has for us. We have this incredible desire to resemble him, to love him, to know him, and delight him by being his hands and feet to the world in which we live. And I tell you what, I was reading those scriptures this morning or this week and they were kicking my butt because if you've grown up in the church, we have this natural default that I think God wants to continually correct and that's okay. I'm so glad that God's word will do that for us. God continues in Isaiah 58, what good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. And remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer. When you look at that scripture, the question is, well, how do we do this? How do we live like that? And if you keep reading through verse 10, here's what God says, by pouring ourselves out. Pouring ourselves out. In other words, we don't measure it. If all we've done is drop a dollar in a red tin bucket at Christmas, we're probably missing the mark. Should we do things like that? Absolutely. We should always generously give. But there's something more that the Lord would have of us. More than financial resources, there's no replacement for giving of yourself, interacting with people personally because personal interaction matters. Engaging with people as human beings, and everyone can do this. People affected by poverty, they need money, but more than money, they need to know that they have value, that they are a person Jesus died for. Yes. A missionary tells a story of a tribal lady who heard the gospel for the first time. And afterward, in quiet reflection, she said, I, I understand your story. I believe it to be true. God might send his son for a white man. He might even send his son for a black man, but he would never send his son for a tribal woman. We know that poverty is destructive and it turns out dignity is usually the first casualty. Poverty in this woman's hard life and the lies of her culture made this tribal woman believe that she's unlovable. But can I tell you, that feeling doesn't just exist in tribes in Africa that feeling exists anywhere that poverty touches. Because poverty is not just physical, it's spiritual and it's psychological. There's a lot to it. And this is why it's so important that we don't just address physical needs, but spiritual and social as well. Many of the destructive behaviors that are found in poverty-stricken areas, it comes from the belief that a person experiencing homelessness or affected by poverty, that they're worthless, which is the deepest form of poverty, that someone would believe this about themselves. But if we're honest, we can be guilty of thinking this about others too, that people affected by poverty are lazy, they're not smart enough to get themselves out of their situation, or that they have nothing to contribute to the church or society. So one of the things we might need to do as we consider Jesus in compassion is confess our pride of trying to be human saviors, believing we can save others with our money or our things. Because we don't do the saving. God does. God does. He just might want to use us as part of that process. That's it. We, like those affected by poverty, have been created in the image of God. And like everyone else, we're simply stewards of what has been given to us for the advancement of God's kingdom on earth. Everything we have is because of what God has given. I want to look back at Isaiah 58 for just a moment, verse 7. It gets translated in the New Living Translation as, and don't hide from relatives who need your help. It's kind of a funny mental picture. So I've told you, I've confessed to you, I read scripture, weird things come to mind sometimes. So here's what came to mind. I'm reading that. Don't hide from relatives who need your help. It's like you're sitting in your lazy back chair. Ding dong, your wife goes to the door, looks through the keyhole. Whose is it? It's, it's your brother, Stefan. Like hit the deck, like hide. He needs help and we don't want to help him. You know, like that's not what this verse is actually talking about though. That is not the image. ESV says, do not hide yourself from your own flesh. That's actually a better translation. Basically what it means is this. If you go back to the Hebrew meaning on the verse, that we are not to hide ourselves from other humans, our flesh. Why? Because we're one. Proverbs 22 reads, the rich and poor have this in common. The Lord made them both. We are all apart. part of the human family. And because of that, we have a responsibility to the people around us. We treat them like our own family because they are. We must maintain a heart of compassion because every person is valuable and precious in God's sight. We've got to maintain a heart of compassion because we were poor and God graciously gave to us. When we understand what God has done for us, It should compel us to graciously give toward others. Jesus would say, give as freely as you have received. Which means if you are not generous, it might be because you don't really understand the gospel. We don't really understand what Jesus has done for us. And you might know it up here, but maybe it's missing here. But if we understand how enslaved to evil we were before Jesus, what kind of spiritual poverty we were living in, that once we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we can then be incredibly grateful for what he's done for us and go about having hearts of compassion for others. What we find in scripture and what we see in the world around us is that all people are bound to the patterns of this world, which refers to the way that sin, selfishness, idolatry, domination, and greed, how that all plays out in various cultures and worldviews. But God wants people to be transformed from this sinful, destructive pattern of this world to the harmonious, loving, and various cultures that the Lord allows us to live in, in the kingdom of God. And only Jesus can break this pattern and truly transform people as the good news is applied to their lives. We know it's only Jesus that can do that. And God's desire is always to redeem, to save, to bring people back to the way that he intended them to live. And we as the body of Christ are Jesus's hands and feet to the world. Think about this this morning. We are the only ones fully equipped, fully equipped. Because think about what's necessary to bring somebody out of a place of poverty. It's about mindsets. It's about worldviews. It's about meeting physical needs. There's a lot to it. So we're the only ones fully equipped to work for more just, harmonious, and life-giving relationships among people created in God's image. Ultimately, the way to alleviate poverty is to point people to their true savior, Jesus. He might use us, but he's the savior who alone can give them their true identity and purpose in life. And as we build relationships with people affected by poverty, we can affirm their value, build dignity, and help them see their true identity in Christ. And by doing so, we alleviate the deepest form of poverty, a feeling of worthlessness, and at the same time, providing for physical needs, because that's important too, and Jesus did it. In John chapter one, verse three, here's what it says. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. So we don't look at people around us suffering and hurting and say, well, that's too bad. Or worse, hey, I saw a help wanted sign down there. Maybe you could go and get a job and take care of your needs. We can't make the issue what got them there. The issue is they're there. They're there. It's cold in the winter. It's hot in the summer. And when you're hungry, you're hungry. And so then the question is, what are we going to do about it? Jesus tells us what to do. He shares it in his last parable. This is the last parable Jesus shares before he goes to the cross. I want you to think about it in that context because it's like apocalyptic. It's end times in nature. Matthew chapter 25. But when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne all the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as shepherd separates the sheep from the goats he will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left then the king will say to those on his rights come you who are blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world for i was hungry And you fed me, I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you invited me into your home. I was naked, you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison, you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth when you did it to one of the least of my brothers and sisters. I want you to notice, he calls those in poverty, his brothers and sisters. That's what our King calls them. For my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the King will turn to those on his left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal life prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty, a stranger or naked or sick and in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing help for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I want to be clear this morning. We are not saved if we show compassion and help people. Instead, we are saved as we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. And if we are saved, we will show compassion to help others. Our compassionate acts are an outward expression of the inward change that God has done. That's all it is. And so then you have to start to ask yourself the question if I'm not compelled that way, what's going on in my heart? What's going on there? I, uh, in response to this passage in Matthew, I've always appreciated Bob Goff in his book, Everybody Always, his, uh, his summary of this passage. Here's what he says. Find strange people and welcome them into your life. You may have a whole family full of them already. No one will even notice. <laughs> Keep water bottles in your car. Find thirsty people. Go to a hospital and find sick people and give away love and Band-Aids And maybe one of your kidneys. (laughs) Naked people are a little harder to find. But here's the point. Don't just agree with Jesus. Go visit jails. Make a couple of friends there. You don't even need to commit a felony to get in. Just ask the warden. Do these things and you'll not only find your faith again, you'll find Jesus. Even better, you'll have plenty of things to talk to him about for all of eternity in heaven. So the question we need to ask ourselves this morning is this. Are we pouring ourselves out for others like Jesus did? Are we personally engaging with people affected by poverty or experiencing homelessness and restoring their dignity? Are we doing that? Are we providing for the needs of those who need our help? This matters because it's how we maintain a heart of compassion as authentic followers of Jesus. Pastor uh, Robert Murray McShane, was a Scottish pastor, minister from the 1800s. He has some really good words for us I want to close with, and it was in response to the verse, it is more blessed to give than receive. So here's what he states. He says, now, dear Christians, some of you pray to be made in the image of Christ. If so, you must be like him in giving. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. Objection, someone might say. My money is my own. Answer, McShane says, Christ might have said, my blood is my own, my life is my own, then where would we be? Objection, a Christian might say, the poor are undeserving. Answer, McShane says, Christ might have said the same thing. They are wicked rebels against my father's law. Shall I lay down my life for these? But no, he gave his life for the undeserving. Objection. Someone might say, the poor may abuse it. Answer, McShane says, Christ might have said the same with far greater truth. Christ knew that thousands would trample his sacrifice under their feet, that most would despise it, that many would make an excuse for sinning more. Yet he gave his own life. Oh, my dear Christians, if you would be like Christ, give much, give often, give freely to the poor, the thankless, the undeserving, Christ is glorious and happy, and so will you be. It's not your money God wants, but your happiness. Remember his own word. It is more blessed to give than receive. So what we want to do in closing today, I want to say thanks to all those who participated yesterday in the Freedom 5K. It was uh, great to see on Facebook, everybody posting their their race together. If you participated in the race, then you, you gave toward a great cause. It actually is this cause that we... Give all the proceeds to the race this year to some local organizations, food finders, Lafayette Urban Ministry, and and Lafayette Transitional Housing who are doing a great job of meeting the needs of people that are affected by poverty or experiencing homelessness. So what we wanna do in closing is provide everybody an opportunity. Maybe you couldn't participate in the race yesterday, but you can give today. And so I would encourage you, feel free to give. And as you give, just feel free to designate it to the the offering. Everything given in this offering will go toward those three organizations. It just adds to the race proceeds that we had. You can give online, text to give, or if you're here, you can give in the offering boxes in the back. And I encourage all of us to be generous because God's generous. But at the same time, don't let that keep you from personally interacting with people in need. I don't ever want us to replace an offering bucket with the opportunity for us to personally invest. Does that make sense? It's so important that we personally get involved in some capacity. We've got a lot of people that actually help with food finders and and Lafayette urban ministry and Lafayette transitional housing, a number of people that serve with our food pantry. So I would encourage you find a way to serve, take your family, go serve a meal It'd make a difference in your kids' lives. Find a way to go and serve Thanksgiving. I know that's a thing that a number of our families do. This matters because as we interact with people, we get to restore dignity. So important. Let's be the hands and feet of Jesus in our world. Because when we're serving others, we're serving Jesus, scripture says. I invite you to stand. We're going to close in song this morning. And as you're standing, you might be here today and you would say, you know, I'm glad for the message, but I'm actually not in a relationship with God. And and yet God sent his son exactly for that purpose. We've been singing about it this morning took communion about it this morning. We're talking about it here this morning. And so you might be here today and say, I, I need to make that relationship. I want to become a follower of Jesus. And we want to create a space for you to do that this morning. This is, you're in an environment with a, a, a room full of people and people online that would celebrate that decision this morning. So with every head bow this morning, if you're here today and you would say, that's me, I, I want to become a follower of Jesus. I don't have that relationship. I'm missing that. Maybe you've been feeling worthless Because you don't know the king and your creator who would speak worth into your life. So wherever you find yourself today, if you're here and you would say, I want to make a decision to follow Jesus, I just invite you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you before we depart today. Who here today would say, that's me? I need to become a follower of Jesus. I need my creator to speak worth into my life. Who here today would say, that's me? You're online you can feel free to just type that in the chat. Tim will meet you there. But God, we just thank you for the opportunity we have to serve you, to love you, to walk in your footsteps. God, what a magnificent thing that we can be your hands and feet that you would use us to be representative of you in the world in which we live. So God, I just ask that you would help and compel each one of us, So number one, identify the areas in our heart that maybe have not been touched by your grace. Give us a heart of compassion for others, God. May we see them through your eyes, not through our own, through our own filters. But Jesus, I pray that you'd help us to, out of a a place of gratitude and love, be able to express that and multiply that love to others. We know that you call us to it, Jesus. Help us live that way. And we trust you for that greater work, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Michelle's going to come and she's going to close us out this morning. And the music team's going to lead us in song. Our heart, I'll tell you, is increasingly, so Shelly, if you want to come, feel free. May we not get in a place where we just religiously go through the routine of showing up and going through the motions. All of us should respond to God all the time, right? All of us should respond to God all the time, right? And I do feel like it's easy for us Especially if you've grown up in a church setting To just go through the motions This is what I'm doing This is how I'm living But we always must have a posture of God Help me hear from you Help me respond to you And so we want to just give a space for that As often as we can Let's all respond Yes, we want to see people make decisions for Christ But we should all respond in some way So however the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart May you do that this morning
1: I was we're just thinking the same that Zach is thinking and that sometimes it's so easy for us to say, but I know my place. I know where God has called me. I'm good there. You know, I can check that box of what the Holy Spirit is saying. And I'll be honest with you. I sat in a service about six years ago and the pastor Ed Stesser was preaching a message, say yes to Jesus and let him put it on the map. Well, at the time, I was already an overseas worker. I was firm in what I was doing. I knew I was called to the nations. And as I sat there in that message, hoping others would respond to this call, then that's when Jesus pricked my heart and said, you're great with the whole globe except the United States. And I felt awful. I was like, oh, that's it's true. (laughs) I want to go far. I want to go to the ends of the earth. But I didn't necessarily feel like I had a heart of compassion for my home area. And then, what was it, just weeks later, we made our trip here, and the Lord just totally changed my whole path. So talk about God changing that, oh, check, I've got that covered, God. But God continually wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to speak to our hearts. And as we're wrapping up this Better Together series, I hope you're sensing God is saying, Let me talk to you about how I wanna work in your life. Let me show you areas where maybe you had a blind spot. Maybe there's somebody you can be getting to know. Maybe there's an organization you can partner with. And we don't wanna tell you what that is. That's not our place. The Holy Spirit is more than capable of speaking to your life and helping you find your path. But we want to provide the space where you have ears to hear what the spirit is saying. So we wanna close our services where the altars are open, where your seat becomes a place of prayer, where you pause and say, God, I wanna have ears to hear what your spirit is saying. I don't wanna check a box and say, got that covered. I know where I'm called because God continually brings us on a journey. So as we sing, as Jim leads us, find a place to pray, find a place to just say, God, I'm open, My ears are open. I want to hear what you have to say. I want you to show me where you're speaking, where you're leading, where you're guiding. Maybe it is in the place that you are in right now, but maybe there's a person that you're not open to. I don't know, but the Lord is going to show you. So let's meet with the Lord right now in this space.